ladies, I'm gonna have to ask you, I need your, I'm gonna need your help um, setting up my camera a little bit because I'm using a camera that's not working that well. So, pause it. Here's some other people. Okay. Okay, come in. Hello. Hi. Hi. Okay, Can we ask a question about last week? One moment, Mrs. Sandler. Let me just try to raise the volume a little. What did you say, please? Can I ask a question about last week's? Yes. And actually, Mrs. Schachter and I both had the same question when we were talking about it. Sure. Go ahead. You were talking about how when you say your bruch is over um, doing a kiddish and hamotzi, the problem is, is that somebody's making the brothel for you. Someone's making it for you. Right. Okay, I got that. So. I think that the, the idea is the same. So let me let me recap briefly um, what I said. Uh, the, the the main idea I feel like that I was trying to express last week, and and I'll I'll reemphasize it in a way that it makes sense in terms of the bracha as well. In terms of a bracha that somebody else is making for you as well. The main idea that I was kind of trying to get across is that the concept of the bracha is an opportunity for us to connect to the Rebbe Shalom, to connect to the master of the universe, to recognize the fact that hit the more of his, uh, shall we call it, eminence or radiance that we bring into the world, the better off we are. And where we're at, when we make a bracha, it's an opportunity to utilize the most basic of physical activities, which in, our, in the way that we said it from the Arizal is there is no difference between the physical and the spiritual. They're inherently intertwined so that we make sure that this, this physical slash material activity is in and of itself a bonding experience with Hashem. That, that idea is true, even if I'm listening to a bracha from somebody else. When I listen to that word, baruch, right, that concept of baruch is that I am currently engaged in a process of creating a bond between myself and the creator. I am opening up the faucet the spheres, the, the 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 possibility for a flow, a spiritual connection between myself and Hashem, so that the activity that I'm now about to be engaged in should be one that increases the, the what we call the, the expression would be shefa bracha, the the outflow of spiritual energy into this world. Does that make sense to you, Mrs. Adler? Have I have I touched on your question? And I, yeah, that, that 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 makes sense now. Okay. Okay, um, I'm not sure how many people were able to get their hands on the text that I mentioned last week, or by Force's Brachos book. Um, I think my intent here is, because instead of trying to give a share that's, that's kind of abstract, I'm going to actually focus directly through the text and just expand on it as we go along. And I'll skip the parts that I feel you know are, are excessive, or, or ex- excessive is the wrong word. Where he, where he, where there's more than than what we, what is necessary for us, and um, try to focus on the on the key points so that we get so that we can get the maximum out of this and cover the maximum amount of ground. Okay, so for tonight, for those of you that have the book, if you have the book, it was again it's Rabbi Forst's book, The Laws of Brachos Piske Halacha, Rabbi Binyamin Forst put out by Art Scroll. Um, I think there's a newer, this, mine might be an older edition. I think there's a newer one. I'm not sure if it's still blue. It might be a different color now. It might be like a pink or something, but 
But whatever it is, this this is the book that you want to have when we're when we're for this class because again, the class is very much going to be focused on halacha lemaisa, which is which is practical everyday day to day halacha. So we're going to go through things that are going to absolutely speak to what it is the things that you need to do. Okay, so let's uh, let, let's do that. I'm, well, I'm going to start from if somebody has the book in front of you, you can follow along on page thirty eight. I will attempt not to be a boring reader. And um, to try to animate the, the class with the with my own um, uh, sort of explanations and and additions to what he's saying, but we're going to follow the text mostly because it's just the easiest, most structured way to do it, and it gives you a better gives all of you a better way to be able to um, uh, review it and to have something concrete in front of you. I see that there are some people here. The ladies that are here in front of me are write, all writing notes, but. Again, you know, it, it will be, you won't, you'll be, there'll be less need for note taking and you can just kind of maybe scribble in the book and then it will, that'll, that'll, you know, that'll give you those kind of reminders. Okay. So let's, let's begin on page 38. Tonight, the, my hope is to cover some of the general principles of brachos, including the structure of a bracha, meaning which things are necessary for, to have a bracha, whether it's considered, what's considered a, a bracha arucha, a long bracha, a bracha katsara, a short bracha, what the differences between those two are, and the concept of bracha hasmucha lechaverta, one bracha that leads into another bracha, for instance, like we have in the morning when you say asher yatsar followed by elokai natsar. Those are that, that's an example of a of a bracha hasmucha lechaverta, or all the brachos of Shmona Esrei are bracha. The words literally mean bracha, a blessing hasmucha that is next to chaverta, the one that's next to it. Um, and then we'll talk about when if a person doesn't know the exact text of a bracha, what you're allowed to. What are the main things that you want to get out of a bracha if I'm making a bracha on my own? On my own? The Gemara talks about a certain person um, who was a shepherd and ignorant, but basically, you know, grew up not very, not very uh, 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 learned at all, didn't know a whole lot. And when they told him he had to make a, he had to bench, so he said, Brich Rachmana the high pita, or Brich Rachmana Malka the Alma the high pita. Blessed is the Lord that gave me this bread. And that, that was his bracha. And we'll see how that fits in into the context of what brachos that we're supposed to make. So, so as a, as by way of introduction to this idea, you have to know the following. All mitzvot are, are either what we call daraisa, biblical in origin, or darabonan. That, that idea of daraisa and darabonan, let me just dispel a, a false notion. Because something is daraisa or darabonan does not make it more or less uh, stringent. We, uh, we don't get a choice just because something's a darabanan, something's only, only quote unquote, only a darabanan, right? Only a rabbinic injunction. Um, therefore, somehow that's it's, there are leniencies that are involved with that, but I'm going to explain to you where, where those leniencies come from. The main idea, the main difference between knowing whether or not something is a daraisa or darabanan is the following idea. If you are in doubt at a time when a person is in doubt, did he do the mitzvah? Did he not do the mitzvah? Did he, did he do this correctly? Does he have to do it over again, etc.? Then if it's if what he's dealing with is a daraisa, we have a principle that says, speka daraisa, if you, have, you are in doubt about a daraisa, a biblical idea, a biblical concept, lechomer, you have to go, you have to, you have to assume the more stringent side of things, which is assume that you didn't do it correctly and do it over again. Speka darabanan, when it comes to a rabbinic injunction, now here's the, here's the here's the catch. What does it mean a rabbinic injunction? Well, why do we follow rabbinic laws anyway? Where, where does that come from? Doesn't the Torah say that you're not allowed to add or subtract? So where does this come from? So the Sefer Achinuch 
the Sefer Achinuch, which is the which is the quintessential uh, counter of mitzvos, he writes that the mitzvah of you're not allowed to turn aside from what the Bezdin tells you to do, not to the right or to the left. That is the that is the Torah injunction that the rabbis should make gedarim. They should make fences around the things that we do. They have an obligation to protect the Torah. I'll put it to you like this. I, I mentioned this uh, Rosh Hashanah time. I don't remember. I think it was a, in a a talk between Minchan Marev that I gave. Um, there, there's a Rabbeinu Yonah at the beginning of Pirkei Elvos on, on, the, on the Mishnah of Asusi Yagla Torah, that, uh, that the, one of the missions of the Anchek Nesis Agdola, the one, one of the missions of the men of the Great Assembly, those who returned at the beginning of the Second Temple era. Let me, let me, um, let me uh, um, go off on a tangent just for a moment, uh, just to f- put something in perspective to you. The Jewish people, the essential change to the Jewish people, where we changed forever, became a different people, was after Horban Bayes Rishon. The destruction of the first temple was a was a sea change in our relationship with Hashem. We went from having a relationship that was a revel- revealed relationship to a relationship in darkness, a relationship from behind the fence, a relationship from between the cracks. We went from having prophecy, open miracles, a direct line of communication with Hashem, to a world that was darkened and completely changed. The entire span of the second Beis HaMikdash, of the second temple era, which is a time longer than the first temple. The first temple, the Gemara tells us, stood for 410 years. The second temple stood for 420 years. Those of you that are really history buffs, you'll know that the historians think that the first temple stood for 586 years and the second temple, uh, the second temple stood for shorter than that. neither here nor there that's not for tonight's discussion for a greater for more in-depth discussion of what I'm about to say I recommend to you Rabbi Tetz's I think it's his second from newest book it's it's called um, As Dawn Ends the Night Um, that is a book where he discusses this concept of the darkening how the second temple era was the preparation for the Jewish people being in Gullus. Essentially, we were already in Gullus at the time of the second, by the time of the second, the second base of Mikdash, for all intents and purposes, was a, was a, was a Gullus, was an exiled base of Mikdash. The vast majority of the Jewish people did not live in Eretz Israel. The prophecy did not come back. The open miracles, the Gemara lists 10 open miracles that did not come back. The second temple was in no way, could, no, could in no way be compared to the first temple. The people that set up the second temple with Anshek Nes Sagdolo, the men of the Great Assembly. It's a group of 120 people. Many of them were Nevi'im, were themselves prophets, Chagai, Zechariah, Malachi, the last of the three great prophets of what, of what we call the Treyasa, the 12, the 12 quote-unquote minor prophets. Minor prophets doesn't mean that they're minor in any way. Minor, they're called minor prophets because they're shorter than all of the other books. The major prophets, Yeshaya, Cheskel, and Yermia, are each 50-plus prokim in the, in the 50 to 60, 50, 60, uh, Prakim in 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 the in the in the in each of each of them in the Treyasa in the in the twelve minor prophets no none of them is more than thirteen Prakim there's not more than thirteen chapters so that's why they're called they're called minor because we have a minor amount of prophecy from them meaning there's a minor amount of their prophecy that was relevant to future generations um, but they're not minor in any other in, other, in any other way shape or form they for they formed the Anchekness Sagdola who established the practices. For the Jewish people, for the time of the Gullus, for the exile, which we are still in up until this day. 
So the brachos that we make, the davening that we do, not the whole of chakras, but for sure the shmon esrei, the, 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 the silent part of the meter, the central part of our tefillah, most of our behaviors, uh, the way we structure our world was set up by the Antech Nesagdol. This leads to the fallacy, of course, um, that those historians that don't have a masora when they're trying to do they, they they're trying to piece together, piece things based upon fragments of information that they get, and then they put together the picture as they imagine it. So they imagine Ezra for being the source for Judaism. They call him the father of rabbinic Judaism, which in, in some ways is true, but it assumes that our the Judaism that we practice is not the Judaism of David HaMelech, Shlomo, and Moshe Rabbeinu. We understand that we they, they simply uh, they simply concretized things that were given over by Masorah that they had open communication with Hashem, that if ever there was any doubt, if a person had a question, you didn't go to the Rav and ask him a Shiloh, and then he had to think about it and weigh it up. No, you went directly to the Navi and he told you what the Rav Hashem wanted you to know. That's it. It was Everything was clear. There was total clarity. You lived in what's called in the world of Torah Shevik You lived in the world of the written Torah. Written means it's binding. It's bi- you're bonded by it. When, so when you write something down, it becomes formal. It's not, it's not flexible and doesn't move in any way because there was no need for that because you had a Navi that could show you exactly how the written Torah applies to everything. We move into a world of the oral Torah where we have to put it back together ourselves, just as a, just as a, be- a beautiful way to uh, describe this idea, um, uh, it, just, to, just so you can see it in, in, the, in terms of the physical. It's like this. When you hear something, right? When you hear something, the way you hear it, if some of you might have heard this idea from me before. When you hear something, what you're hearing is tiny little fragments. In other words, how does, how does hearing work? What happens is I manipulate air over my vocal cords. <laughs> That creates waves, that creates a disturbance in the air between me and you. That disturbance vibrates against your eardrum, and your brain then takes those vibrations and puts them back together as complete sounds. But in actual fact, it's tiny little minuscule little vibrations in the air that your brain is putting back together. So essentially, what is speech? Speech is just tiny little pieces that you have to put the whole picture together yourself. That's Tereshe Baalpeh. Tereshe which something's written, which what you see, when you see something, you take in the whole thing at once. You can see a whole picture all at once. You're seeing multiple things. You're not, we don't see like what we see on the computer screen, just tiny little dots of light. You're seeing the whole picture at one time. Your eye is like that camera. It's it's actually an upside down camera that your brain turns over. Right? You all you'll probably know that better than I do. But that, that, that idea is you're taking in the whole thing at one time. The concept that a person can't hear two things at the same time. The reason why it's impossible to hear two things at the same time is because your ear can only vibrate one way or the other. Either you're either it's this vibration or it's that vibration. You can't have two vibrations going on at the same time. You'll hear nothing. It will just be chaos. Whereas your eyes, you can see, you guys can look out and see two different, completely different things with each eye at the same time because it's possible to do that. It's possible to take in much more than one thing because I'm, I'm taking in the whole picture at one at one time. It goes to there's a lot to talk about in terms of concentration and other types of things that that, that go into that. But that's. That's that reality. So here, to get us back from that tangent, back full circle, here we go. Here's what I was trying to say. The the Torah says, the rabbis have an obligation, the Chachamim have an obligation to set up parameters or fences around the Torah to protect the Torah from becoming defiled. The more more stringent you are with those fences, the more you care about those fences, the more you show you care about the Torah itself. 
In other words, if you if you truly care about something, then you set up parameters, you set up walls around it so that no harm can actually come to it. The more the more you care about it, the more you care about those parameters, about those fences, about that outer boundary that protects it. You want that layer of protection to be even stronger, even more than the core itself, which means that in some way, Durabonans become even more important than Doraisis. It's not the it's not the idea that Durabonan is more lenient. It's that the rabbi said, if you have a doubt, we don't want you to do it over again. That's the way they set it up. They set it up from the beginning that if it's a suffix, if it's in doubt, you don't have to repeat it. A Torah obligation, the Torah said, you must do this. If you have any doubt whether or not you did it, you got to do it over again. But the rabbi said, if you, we want you to do things like this. If you, if you did it, good. And if not, if you're in doubt, we didn't, we weren't, didn't obligate you to do it. So that's why, that's why a drabanan is the chumrah. Now, well, how's that relevant to us in Hilchas Brachos? It's very significant because mo- almost all brachos are derabana. Almost all brachos are rabbinic in origin. They were set up by the Anchekna Sagdola, except for certainly the only one for sure that is clear that's a derisa is that if a person eats a full meal with bread and is satiated and he has to make bracha, he has to say, he has to say, he has to bench afterwards. That's a pasuk in the Torah of Achalta If you eat something and you are satisfied with you have to give say a bracha to Hashem. That is the benching that we say on bread is derisa. Some say the Me'ain shalosh that we say also is derisa. That which we say like alamichia, that's also derisa. A derisa injunction because it also comes from the satisfaction. It comes from grain, from those things that are staples of our diet that maintain life. So those are those are derisas. And some say. The bracha that you make on the Torah, that's also Doraisa. All other brachos, whether it's Shahakal, whether it's Shmona Esrei, whether it's the brachos that you say in the morning, whether it's the brachos that you say during davening, all of those are all Durabanan. And the difference is going to be that if you have, are in doubt, then you don't make the bracha over again. You don't, you don't redo, you don't re-say, the, re-say that bracha. Okay. But what we have to concentrate on over here are the formal structure of the brachos as we know them. Uh, the for, the way in which I have to recite each of those brachos, what have, what's in critical elements of, of what's, what I have to say. Then when I pronounce the name of Hashem, how is the name of Hashem pronounced and with what kavana, with what intents do I pronounce it? And then if we have enough time, we'll talk about bracha levatala, if a person makes the bracha, or um, the, and the proper kavana that a person's supposed to have when he makes the entire bracha, what does a person do if he has an interruption in the middle of a bracha, and the, the obligation to say 100 brachas a day. Those are the things that hopefully we'll get to some, at least half of those in the context of tonight's talk. Okay, so the formal structure of the brachas, yeah, we got to, gotta, yes, especially me, I talk too much, and we're going to get carried away on the tangents. We'll see what happens. Okay, so the formal structure of a brachas is as follows. The text and form for all brachas, whether they're Daraisa or Drabanan, which is set up by, by Ezra was, uh, um, was set up that uh, a bracha has to begin. Um, uh, it's not just, a, again, that the bracha is not simply a thank you, but it has a structure that it has to follow. Every bracha begins with a prefix, baruch atah, right? So I have to address myself to Hashem. I have to mention that I'm, in, in, I'm, I'm engaging in baruch, in bracha, in the concept of expanding Hashem's influence in the world. That's the way we understand it, what baruch means. Right, and also the bracha has to conclude with the subject of the bracha, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, whatever it is that you plan to talk about. Hashem created everything. etc. The subject of what it is that I'm discussing. So I need, I need to mention baruch. I need to mention Hashem's name, 
right? I also have to mention that he is Melech HaOlam, that he is the king of the world, that he is, that his dominion is over everything. And then what the subject of that bracha is, that's called a bracha ketzara. Um, some brachos, other brachos contain a much lengthier text, and they conclude with a suffix of an abridged bracha that, that is attached to the end of it, that it closes off with a bracha, okay? So those brachos are called brachos aruchos, those are called longer brachos. Long brachos means that they have a bracha in the beginning and a bracha at the end, an opening and a closing to both. Um, all right, so there are, there are three mandatory conditions for every bracha. That is, number one, a bracha must begin with the word baruch. It must include a shame Hashem and has to refer, refer to a, have a specific reference to Hashem in what you're saying, um, whether it's the shame Elohim or it's the shame of uh, the shame of Adnus, uh, the uh, Hashem's mastery of the universe, right? Or or the real name of Hashem, which we don't pronounce, which obviously we don't do, but it could technically have that in a in it in it as well. And the bracha has to include. Number three, the brachas include malchus, and has to include the fact that Kosh is Melech HaOlam, that he is the master of the universe, that he, that he is in charge of everything. That is, those are the three critical elements that if a bracha doesn't have those three things, then the bracha is not a bracha. So if a, um, if a person said, Baruch Hashem, Melech HaOlam, Melech, uh, and then he ends it off. As long as he said those three things, like I said before, I mentioned before the bracha that uh, that that shepherd, that ignorant shepherd would say, Blessed is Hashem. Hashem. Rachmana is another name of Hashem. So Rachmana, the merciful one, Malka who is king of the world, the high Peter that you created this bread. Done. I'm good. I said I made my bracha. I, I didn't say. And all the beautiful ideas that we mentioned before. I have my three critical elements. It has Baruch, it has Shem Hashem, and mentions that he's Melch HaOlam, and the subject about which the Baruch is to be mentioned. I'm good. Yes. Somebody had a question? I guess not. Okay. Okay. Oh, is everybody with me? Can you see what that is? The camera's not even good. Okay. Everybody Okay. Okay, I'm going to assume everybody's fine. Okay, the suffix in a bracha arucha, in a long bracha, right, um, is that the bracha has to end off just baruch ato Hashem or baruch Hashem. Um, and it's basically a summary of the bracha that came afterwards. Um, 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 now, in a bracha hasmucha lechavarta, which is the third type of bracha, is that you can sometimes have um, there's one. There's a form of bracha arucha that does not require right any prefix. It doesn't require a prefix. So, for instance, our Shmon Esrei, our entire Shmon Esrei is a is a series of eighteen brachos, right? But if you'll notice, if you take, if you pay close attention, you'll notice that all the middle brachos, starting from Ata Kadosh, right, or even from um, uh, even from Mechayim Esim, Ata Gibar, right, from the second bracha and on. There's no bracha to start it off. There's no what happened to the baruch ata Hashem that came in the and still counts as a separate bracha. So how's that possible? It's, isn't it missing what we said? The three critical elements. So here, we're, there, we come onto something that's called a bracha hasmucha lechavrta. You have when you have a bracha amrucha that's next to another bracha, it can it can feed off of the bracha that the previous bracha started with. So when we saw Baruch Atah Hashem, Elokeinu Melech Haolam, right, Elokeinu Melech Yitzchak, 
that Baruch HaTah Hashem is now going to go for all of the middle brachos until, until, the, until the end of the 15th bracha. All of those brachos, really the end of the 16th bracha, all of those brachos, 16th, uh, no, it goes all the way to the end. It goes all the way to the end of the 19th brachos. All 19 brachos after that are relying on the Baruch HaTah Hashem that you said at the very beginning. And each bracha after that has to have its own closing, which is a summation of what its bracha is about. Das, right? Tshuva, Slicha, Geula, Refua, etc., etc., etc. They all have to have a summary, but they, they rely on the bracha that, that, that comes right before them. They share the prefix before them. So all, all forms of bracha rucha require the suffix of Baruch Hashem, right? And if you leave out Hashem, if you leave out the Shem Hashem, it invalidates that bracha, right? But you don't have to have a reference to Malchus. You don't have to say Baruch Hashem You just have to say Baruch Hashem, and then you are you are yotzi with that. Whether or not a person can create his own form of bracha is subject to tremendous debate, and it's significant to us in only one place. That's and in, in your in your on in a, on a regular basis, especially to us. Um, great travelers that we are, right? Especially us in Rhode Island that we travel all the time. The, you're, when you get in the car, you're supposed to make a special bracha. It's called Tfilah Sadarach. It's called the, the Traveler's Prayer. If you remember at the end of that Tfilah, you see your end off, Baruch Hashem right? So that's a bracha. So where's the Baruch Hashem that, start, that starts in the beginning of it? So there is a debate amongst the poskim as to whether or not a person, it is appropriate for a person to make another bracha like a shahakol, like take a drink or something. You say, take a quick sip, and then you start uh, the tefillah sadarach. You start Yerotzon, right, etc., and you say the whole tefillah sadarach, and it functions as a bracha smukha Whether or not we can make our own bracha smukha or not, or bracha smukha is only those that were set up on Antrik Nesavdullah, is the subject of a debate, and it's too involved for tonight. But just at least just that you should be aware that there is that um, there is that, uh, that that idea that goes along with those brachas. Okay. Now, the text of a bracha ideally should never be altered. You should say it exactly the way it said. We have a, the Gemara says, "Kol Hamashana." Anybody who changes me from the format that the chachamim set up for the brachas, right, is not yotze. He doesn't fulfill his obligation. Now that is that is that or or that is that is a goes again, a person who's not supposed to do that. Um, you shouldn't add or delete words, right? You should do it exactly the way it is. I'm going to get to whether or not you should make brachos in a foreign language. That's a that's going to be a that's going that's a, that's a separate discussion. We need to have that in a moment. And whether how do I figure out what the translation is? Which translation do I use? Oh, if I look at Matsuda, they translate it like this. And if you look at Art Scroll, they translate it like that. And which one's the right one? And is that the bracha that Chachamim set up? Not Pashit, not Pashit at all. In fact, the Arach HaShulchan, just as, a, just as an aside, the Arach HaShulchan, uh, Baruch HaLevi Epstein, um, writes uh, that one is not Yotze if one says a bracha in translation. Now, you have to, many times in Halacha, you have to know the context in which a psak is made. The Arach HaShulchan's psak was made in the context of fighting against maskilim and reformers. And basically, they were trying to uh, reform tefillah and make it completely into the, the language of the people. It shouldn't be, it shouldn't be in Lashon HaKodesh. We'll talk about the Hashivas of Lashon HaKodesh in a few minutes when we talk about translating brachos. It shouldn't be in Lashon HaKodesh. It should be in a language that we speak. Why, why, why would we pray in a language that we don't understand? We'll see that there's lots of reasons to pray in a language you don't understand. But 
Therefore, the Archashokhan says that as, that as a matter of course, you can't make you can't make uh, any brachos in a foreign language. You have to make all brachos in Lashon HaKodesh and Lashon HaKodesh only because we can't know, what he says is we can't know all of the intent that Chazal had when they uh, set up those brachos. I'll, I'll get into that again when, when we get to the Hebrew and why we make brachos in Hebrew, um, what, 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 uh, what, what's expected of us, okay? But for us, essentially, in altering brachos, right, a person has to, it has to, it has to conform to the essence of the way Chazal set it up. Um, uh, if somebody's saying Shmonesha in the wintertime and, uh, and he left out the words, he said, but he didn't say, but say, instead. And he didn't say, so he's not, he's not doing. Chazal said that an, a major part of the bracha of in the wintertime is to mention the fact that Hashem brings us life-giving rain. Without that, you haven't said the bracha in its fullest, and you're not yotze. You, and the fact is, if you miss, if you miss Mashiva Ruach, the halacha is, you have to go back to the beginning. You have to repeat the Shemon Again, with, it, with certain parameters, if you didn't remember within a certain amount of time, we'll get to that later when we talk about making mistakes in brachas. This is what I told you last week. Brachas is so complicated because every halacha is overlaid with so many different other areas. It's, it's hard to Stay the course, which is why we're sticking to the book, at least for the for the for the for the, for the most part. The shame malchus have to both be mentioned. You have to mention shame Hashem and the malchus whenever you make a bracha, even if you change it in any form. And you can't, according to most opinions, you can't change the format of a bracha. If a bracha was a bracha aruka, a long bracha that had a beginning bracha and an end bracha, you can't make it a bracha ktsara. And it's the same thing also if it's a bracha ktsara, you can't make it into, into a bracha that is aruka, into a longer bracha. The Gemara talks about that in the context of the brachos before Kriyashma, whether or not a person can say the ktsara is aruka, so ktsara, so you make big brachos, short, short brachos, long brachos. How do you make that? By the way, if you think about it, the brachos in, in, in the Shema, if you're thinking about it carefully, where's the bracha at the beginning? After Shema, you say MS Vemuna or MS Vyatsav, whichever one it is you're saying, and you end off Gal Yisrael. Where's the beginning of that bracha? So the answer again, Chazal says that's bracha smukhavata because you it's it's connected to the two brachas that come before the Shema. So the two brachas that you say before the Shema, the Baruchat Hashem Kemel Cholam, Hashem Bidvarim Ariv Aravim, or 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 Hamer Lars Ladarim, right? Yotzer Ovari Choshech. The, that bracha that you're making at the beginning of the davening, right after baruchu, that baruch to Hashem goes on all the brachos that are around the shema. Again, another situation, another case of bracha smucha lechavertam. Okay, um, a bracha that was altered b'diavad. If you did it b'diavad, the concept of b'diavad means this. Let me just let me just clarify something. B'diavad doesn't mean there's an ideal way to do things and there's a non-ideal way to do things. And if you can't do it the ideal way, so then do it the non-ideal way. There's no such thing. There's one way to, there's a way to the things need to be done. That's the way it's supposed to be done. Sometimes if a person already did something, then we might say, oh, you already did it like that. All right, that's fine. You can let it go. With that's called, the words bidi avad mean, mean, that's what they mean. Bidi avad, because he already did it, therefore we're going to say it's okay. Lechat means techila, set out how you set out to do it. This is the way we want you to do it. So if you're coming to me and asking me for instruction, I'm going to tell you the lechatchila. I'm going to tell you what you ideally must do. Not ideal in the sense that there's an ideal way to do it and a non-ideal way to do it. Ideally meaning this is the way it must be done. Do it like this. 
Now, you weren't able to do it like that, or you didn't do it like that. You're coming to me after the fact, and you're asking me, I did X, Y, and Z. I said it, I did it this way. I said it in English. You didn't say it in Hebrew. I changed the word. I dropped the word. Then we have another concept called Bidiyavid. Bidiyavid means you, since you already did it like this, okay, you're good. It's fine. You can, you can, you can go along there. The idea, the same, this idea is specifically relevant, let's say, in, in terms of Chinuch Habanim. When you're teaching children, you want to teach a child to make a bracha. Sometimes it's hard for the, the, even for a short bracha. Baruch Hashem, okay, noon. Melacholam, oh, they already lost interest. Shachol niyabidvara, you didn't get it in. So what are you going to say? So you said, you suddenly say, Baruch Rachmana Shachol Melacholam Shachol niyabidvara. Right? That's all you want to say. You want, you want to say a shortened bracha. Again, you're not teaching them. The, if you, if you, there's there is a concept called. Things that we learn as children, I mean, they never go out of our heads. We can remember small things that happened so long ago, I and mean, the things that we can't remember that happened last week, right? Because the things that we learn when we're young imprint on us and they stay with us, which is why a lot of times it's important to teach a child to do things the right way and not teach him the shortcut, so to speak, because then sometimes the shortcut will stick with them. But if they're young enough and not yet at the point where they're going to actually be remembering things, sometimes you want to just keep their attention. You want to say, Say thank you, Hashem, for giving me the candy, right? So now you did that. Think about it. You say, say thank, thank you, Hashem, for giving me the candy is the same thing as saying, Baruch Ato Hashem, right? Now you left out the Melcha Olam. Okay, but that's for a child. So it's, it's, that's what we would call a Bedi'evet situation. It's a situation that's already in place that, it, that that's the only way to do it. But once a child reaches the age of about six, seven, eight years old, between that and that, and that age range, he should be making regular brachos. There should be no, there should be no, uh, no other way that the bracha should be made. Um, in order that that's when they, they they're already ready to begin absorbing the lessons the way they're supposed to be. Okay, let's get the, briefly now to the language in which a bracha has to be said. Okay, because this is this is very important. The language in which a bracha has to be said, as I mentioned before, there's a there is we we already talked about last time multiple interpretations of baruch. We talked about multiple interpretations of why the, the context of the bracha goes from speaking directly to Hashem to third person, etc. That there, there are ideas that are being expressed within that. There are so many more ideas than what that is. The way the muscle that I like to use for this is as follows. <clears throat> if it doesn't work, it stopped working. This muscle stopped working so well once they, once we came up with cell phones. But I'm all, most of the people here remember that once upon a time, you used to have to have cables and wires in order to be able to make connections. So the concept of the brachos that the Anchek Nesagdola set up, and the concept of, of the tefillah, and this is true also in tefillah, just as, a, as an aside, our davening, our Shemon Esrei, is 18 brachos. And as we're learning Hilchas brachos, everybody's thinking, oh, we're learning Hilchas brachos, we're learning about the halachas of making brachos on food. We're learning about all the halachas of brachos, and included in those halachas are the halachas that we make during tefillah, that we make during davening. Shemon Esrei is, is also brachos. Now, the reality is that the way Tvilo was supposed to work is every person is supposed to go come in front of Hashem and ask Hashem for everything that they want. Whatever you want, whatever's on your mind, that's what you should talk to Hashem about. So why did the Chazal set it up in a fixed, in a, in a, a with a, liter, a fixed liturgy that we're stuck to and that we say over and over again and we repeat the same words over and over again? This is not a class on, on Tvilo, but the reality is, is that Chazal imbued in those words, in those ideas, it's as though they laid down the wires and all we have to do is pick up the receiver and we're connected at the other end. We, we have the wires to make that connection already there. We could choose to try to broadcast it into space and hope that we get it to bounce off of a satellite and get to Hashem. Maybe it gets there, maybe it doesn't. 
but it, but the 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 language that Chazal in, uh, invested in the brachos in the lashon using lashon hakodesh and the lashon hakodesh specifically meaning the language of Hashem. And let me try to let me try to just delve into that just for just for a moment because it's important. Lashon hakodesh is called lashon hakodesh because why is it the holy tongue? The Ramban talks about the fact that the um, the, the the Ramam talks about the fact that there are no words that describe. Um, uh, negative, uh, listen, not negative is the wrong word. There are no words in Lashon Kodesh that describe things that are inappropriate. Okay, there's no, there are no words in, in Hivrit, there are words for that. But in Lashon Kodesh, there are no words for those, those types of things. The reason is because Lashon Kodesh is a language of essence, meaning when I mean, what, what does a language of essence mean? It means like this. We, in order so that we can understand one another, so we have formalized the understanding that certain things refer to certain things. So we call an object that has a base and a flat top on top of it, we call that a table. And something that has uh, a solid four legs or whatever, or legs and a base, and that has a, a seat to sit on, we call that a chair. If we were to agree that, you know what, let's call something that has a base and a flat top a chair and something that you sit on a table, there'd be no problem with that. We could call these tables and these chairs and, and, and we'd be fine. As long as we all understand what we're talking about, it's, it's just a matter of that's, that's, that, is the, that is the agreed upon uh, uh, format in which we're going to discuss things. Lashon HaKodesh is not that way. When it says in two, like a few weeks ago, when it says that Aram Arishan looked at Hashem, brought all the animals in front of him and he, he gave them names and whatever its name was, that is what, that is what it is. That's what the, the Pasuk says. Right, right. That what is that? That means he was describing the essence of what that thing is. It, it talks to the actual what it. It's it's a description of the very essence of what it is. It's not just a, in other words, the the word for a word in Lashon Hakodesh and the word for a thing in Lashon Hakodesh is the same thing. This is called a davar, and it's called a davar. A word is a davar, and a thing is a davar. Because the thing is the word. That is what it is. It describes the word that's used in Lashon HaKodesh to describe it, describes its essence. That means that when I make a bracha in Lashon HaKodesh, I'm describing the very essence. That's the, the same idea. It's not coincidental that Baruch and Brecha is the same word. That a spring, something that comes up, that, that, that comes up from the ground, bubbles up from the ground on its own, having seemingly have no source, that we can't see the source to it, and it's continuously increasing, is the same word as that we use for bracha. It's no coincidence that the letters of the word bracha are the same as the words for the, for the word ribui, which means to increase. That's not a coincidence. That's because bracha is, the, the essence of what bracha is, is to increase what there is by by the way, just um, as an aside, by connecting it to its source. That's how bracha happens. Connect things back to their source and they are nizbareh. They increase on their own, right? You take a potato, you cut it into six pieces, you got six pieces of potato. Take a potato and plant it in the ground and wait for it to disintegrate and fall apart. Now you have six potatoes. You don't just, have, you know, you connect it back to the source of where it came from and it becomes something else. It's, it's nizrab, it increases. So the lashana kodesh, the language of the, 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 the chazal set up is critical for the brachos. You could say it in a different language, we'll see. That's not, not Pashat, there are, there are halachas around which, which things you could say in what language, but it has to be, but the ideal is to say it in Lashon HaKodesh because even if you don't understand what you're saying, you're addressing the essence of what it is that you're trying to attach, whether it's the fact that the tenses in which you're talking about, or I don't know what to, 
the, the, the fact that we're talking directly to Hashem versus in third person to Hashem, coming Rotsova Shova, as we described it before, in the in the, the coming back and forth in our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, or it's that I'm I'm addressing the reality of Hashem's uh, essence and manif- 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 manifest in the world and how he how he expresses himself in the world. It, that's contained in the in Lashon HaKadosh, and it's impossible for us to get all of that into an, into an English sentence without saying a paragraph. Listen to me, just go on and on and on, just try to describe this to you. Um, it's Lashon HaKodesh is the reality. It's a description of reality. We want to say our brachos in Lashon HaKodesh, even if we don't understand them. Because we're, the, the point is we're connecting to the language, to, the, to, the, to what's being said on a deeper level. So the, so the idea is that the richness of Lashon HaKodesh, its ability to embody within its re- it references to basic as well as mystical meanings, makes it the preferred language for the recitation of a bracha. There is, there's no other way to make a bracha. However, this, since the bracha is, um, is a testimony to our dependence on Hashem, I'm, I'm, I'm utilizing this as a maya, but so it, it is appropriate that one actually have an understanding that that's what I'm doing. I'm, I am showing how I am completely dependent on Hashem, and therefore there are, there are those who say that, that, um, that you could be yotze, in another language. There are two qualifications to that. Number one, well, number one is it's brought that the language that a person uses has to be a language that is valid in the country where you're speaking. If you're an Englishman in France, you can't say a bracha in English. You could say a bracha in French, but you can't say a bracha in English. No. I don't know what you what that means in America. And I'm not sure what that means. Can I say a bracha in Spanish? I'm not sure. For almost for sure, you can't say a bracha in Afrikaans. There's no, because that's for sure not the language that's spoken here. And you certainly can't say a bracha in a language that's not a language. Pardon those that feel otherwise, but uh, Ebonics or, 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 and the truth of the matter is, uh, actually, I mentioned Afrikaans. Afrikaners would probably like to shock me with it, but Afrikaans is a, is, is a bastard Dutch. It's not a real language. It was a language that was, that was not massaged is the wrong word, was, that was brutalized out of another language. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a brutalization of Dutch. It's not, it's not, a, it's not, it's a, or, or some might say Yiddish. Is Yiddish a real language? Some say, oh, it's a mamaloshin. What do you mean? Of course it's a language. But the truth of the matter is you put a Hungarian, right, in the same room with a, with a Russian and have them speak Yiddish to one another. They have no idea what they're talking about. They, they, can, they cannot talk. They are not talking the same language. And I'm not just talking about whether or not you pronounce all as E or, or et cetera. I'm talking about the words that are used borrow from their native language that they're, that they're in. The Hungarian Yiddish borrows from Hungarian, Romanian Yiddish borrows from Romanian, Russian Yiddish borrows from Russian, German Yiddish, Germans. I mean, they, they probably have to cover their ears when they listen to the Yiddish that other people are speaking, right? Even though the Yiddish probably stemmed originally from German because that's, that, I mean, that was just the order of the way the Jews migrated through, through, through uh, into, into Eastern Europe was through the gateway was through the Rhineland and then on, and then on through Bavaria and into Poland, et cetera, and then into the Pale of Russia. So it's, it, was, it was a progression. Whether or not that's actually a language that you could actually say Yiddish, it might not be so pushed. You'd have, to, you'd, have to, you'd have to have somebody really consider whether or not that is a valid way of making a, a language. Um, of course, you still have to mention Shem Malchus. You have to mention the Shem Hashem, and you have to mention Malchus. You have to mention that Hashem's kingship in the world. Those are for certainly a, 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 um, a, um, a, a requirements. 
Um, so obviously reciting a bracha in Lashon HaKodesh in Hebrew has a major advantage over it's being recited in other languages. Um, if it's said according to um, according according to everybody, even if you don't understand the bracha that you're saying in Lashon HaKodesh, you are Yotze. You've fulfilled your obligation. L'chachila, that is the ideal, that is the best way. There's no other way to make brachos. Lashon HaKodesh is the way to go. If you say it in another language, it must be a language that you speak. If you don't understand that other language, you try to, if you're saying a bracha in another language, it has to be in a language that, that, that you follow. Um, otherwise, it's not legitimate. So, um, uh, obviously, again, um, it, there are there is a legitimate opinion that allows you to say brachos in those other languages if they are real, uh, given the qualifications that it's a real language, it's a spoken language in the, in the place where you are, and it's a language where you that you understand yourself, right? And if a person can't say a bracha in, in Lashon HaKodesh, it's obviously better to say it in English or in for us in English or for somebody in a different place in whatever language that they're, that they're following, it's obviously better to do that than not to say the bracha at all. Okay, so let's just summarize very briefly what we've said till here, and then we'll call it a night for now, okay? Um, the first, first of all, we mentioned that there is something, there are, there are two types of brachas. There, is, there's a, there's a, there are brachas aruchos and brachas aruchos. A bracha ketzara requires an opening of baruch. It has to have a shem Hashem. It has to mention malchus. And then it has to be the subject about which, which it was mentioned. A bracha arucha requires all of the above, meaning the bracha has to start off with, bar, with, with, with baruch. It has to have shem Hashem. It has to mention melcha olam. The subject and then the closing bracha and the closing bracha also has to have baruch has to have Hashem's name. Not you don't need malchus because you already said malchus, but you have to have Hashem's name and you have to have a summation of what was incorporated incorporated in the bracha. A bracha smuchalachavrta is when you have two brachos aruchos when you have two long brachos that are next to one another. The second one doesn't necessarily have to start with baruch. It can it can borrow off. It can feed off the baruch from the bracha before it and even from multiple brachos before it, it can can feed into it. Um, and then a person needs all of the above above things uh, that, that, that we said before. In altering a bracha, in shortening a bracha, etc., one has to be, make sure to maintain those elements, baruch, shem, malchus, shem, malchus, and the subject. Um, and um, without that, then the bracha is not, uh, is not valid. A bracha that's recited in Hebrew is valid even if one does not understand it. And if another language, it cannot be, if it's not understood by the person who's saying it, then it, then it is invalid. It has to be understood. It has to be a spoken language in the place where he is. And it has to be a real language, not, uh, not some sort of a slang or some sort of a, a, something else that, is, that, is not, that, that does not do it. And it has to include shame and malchus in the language which you are choosing to recite it. For those of you that want to review, we, we, we studied tonight from page, uh, from page 38 through page 45. Okay, so for those of you that want to review in, in Rabbi Force Brachos book from page 38 to page 45, next time we will continue with how one goes about making the bracha. Uh, do you have to say it? What kavanas do you have? What intention do you have to have? Um, we will also throw in some other interesting things in terms of the kavana a person has to have, whether or not the item has to be in front of you at the time when you're making the bracha, what kind of place you have to be standing in when you make the bracha, and those details to go along with it. Thank you very much. Okay. All right, have a good night. I have a quick question. Yeah, let me just show off real quick. Thank you very much, everybody.